It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So yesterday, officially, we entered what's known as a bear market, a term that is confusing to people. But I want to tell you what it actually means to you and your wallet. Also want to talk about something else later, student loans. There's new news on the student loan front, and it can pinch your wallet if you have a kid in college or one about to start this fall, and I'm going to tell you what you need to know. So the stock market is in an ugly place right now, but not a surprising one. Stock values had been unusually high for a long period of time based on how that's measured and how that's measured is something people think it's just some kind of um, mystery thing like you throw it in like some kind of stew and numbers just pop out and that's not how it plays when you're trying to figure out the fair value of a company what you do is you take the profits of that company and you divide them out by the number of shares there are and you come up with a profit per share And most companies report that every 90 days, and you figure out over a year what those profits are worth. And then people will pay so much per dollar of profits, which is what's known as, uh, this gets kind of wonky, but it's the price earnings ratio, meaning what you're paying for that stock is based on what kind of money you think you can make from that stock, not this moment, but over the years. So what's happened over the last few years is investors have been paying much more for shares and companies than historically what those profits would be worth. Everything was priced for perfection. And that's why for a number of years, I've been saying, hey, listen, you got to be careful with money you're going to need in the next little while because stocks by historical numbers have too much value. Prices are too high. And then all kinds of things went wrong at once. We had the pandemic. We had, uh, we have the war in Europe that gets uglier by the day. We've got the supply chain disruptions. We've got the crazy, idiotic COVID policy of communist China that has disrupted worldwide production and delivery of goods and we've got our government that pumped way too much money into the economy all these things led to our current economic problems which is too many dollars chasing too few goods a classic definition about why we're having inflation we don't have enough goods that have been produced and so people got this money And so what happens? Something has to give, the price goes up until people either A, go on buyer's strike, which we're seeing in several sectors of the economy, or we squeeze that inflation out of the economy from things that the feds can do, specifically the rise in interest rates from the Federal Reserve and Congress doing something to reduce the spending that the federal government has been doing. So all these things in combination will get inflation under control. But in the meantime, it means that companies are not going to be as profitable. So it's a double whammy. 
because people suddenly, things aren't price perfection anymore. People see that, oh, those profits aren't worth quite as much in what I should be paying for the stock. And those profits are likely to decline as the economy slows, we deal with the consequences of inflation and what it's going to take to get it out of the economy. So that means the next while is going to be messy for stocks. Even if there's a rally now that happens over the next few weeks or even a couple of months, following the decline of the market, 20% or more is the classic definition of a bear market. Even if that happens, the odds are we're going to limp along for a while and we're going to have false dawns where it looks like, oh, the worst is over. Everything's going to be fine. This is going to play for a while. So does that mean you go and hide? You sell into these losses? No way, no way. Because bear markets historically don't last a ridiculously long period of time. Usually measured in many months, not many years. And you don't know when things turn around. So if you've already suffered significant losses, and especially if it's money that you have no need for in the next five years, then ignore the headlines. And if you're still participating in an employer-provided plan like a 401k, or you're still contributing to a Roth IRA, you want to keep doing exactly what you're doing because right now you're actually buying your future retirement dollars on sale because the depressed values of today are a temporary, not a long-term phenomenon. So it is ugly. It is messy. And we as investors, individuals, tend to want to invest when the headlines are blaring about how the markets hit a new high today and new high for the year and new high forever, where the reality is the greatest money is made when you have the guts to keep doing what you were doing at the time that the market has gone ugly, bad ugly. Does it feel good to look at a quarterly statement when they come out in a few weeks the first or second week of July, and you see what's happened to your retirement accounts, let me tell you, that does not feel good. And a lot of times that'll make people say, I can't do this anymore. I have to go to what's safe. No, you keep doing the diversification that hopefully you've been doing. For example, if you're in target retirement funds in your 401k or in a Roth IRA, keep doing that. Because your money is spread out among all different kinds of things based on your age and how far you are from retirement. And if you stay in the game, you'll be fine. Krista, I want you to step in now because I want to dial back to what went on when you first started working on the show back in the dot bomb era. Mm-hmm. And so 1999, 2000, 2001, right. what did people do? Oh, they got out. They were freaking out and panicking, took their money out, went into cash. And what happened again after the banking scandals destroyed the nation's finances starting in 2007? Same thing. 
and sell people, low and buy high. And people would call us again and again, wouldn't they? They right. say, Oh, I, I just can't do this. I can't do this. I got to get out. And I'd, I'd, I'd walk through in this scenario. Well, you know, you're 18 years from retirement. You really don't need to worry about this. Everything will be fine. And it's easy for me to say, except my money's in it too. Mm-hmm. Why is it easy for me to say? Because the math proves out that if you chill, take that chill pill and hang in there, think about what happened to people who didn't bail when the market bottomed in 2009, April 2009, how much did they benefit? Did their money double? Did it triple? Did it go up 50%? Do you remember? I'm guessing that it tripled. Tripled is by some measures. Mm -hmm. And so now you've given some of that back, but we're still in a much better position staying in and hard for people to do still climbing the mountain you might have a little you know valley but still climbing the mountain i don't climb mountains anymore (laughs) i'm too old for that all right you want to go to some questions this is from william in wisconsin with all these concerns with inflation i was wondering why we have not seen an increase in the interest we earn on our savings account mortgage loans and credit card interest rates are affected by inflation so why not my savings so william What's happened is that banks, particularly the traditional bricks and mortar banks, have learned that their customer base is kind of habit oriented and they just have that money in savings and they're not sensitive to what happens with the interest they earn. On the other hand, people who do other things like go to online banks Uh, go to credit unions that are aggressive with savings rates, will do much better. And the rates at the online banks have been going up. But the real deals right now have been in something that, I'm going to mention it, Krista, I'm sorry, buying various forms of treasuries. Have we caused more confusion in people (laughs) than anything you've ever seen? But if you want to see what's really happening with money you can earn on your savings and have something that is ultra secure, even in a sense more secure than having an FDIC insured bank savings account is owning various forms of U.S. treasuries. The easiest to buy series I savings bonds that you can buy 10 grand in a year that are paying a huge rate of interest right now that resets every six minutes, six minutes, every six months, paying now over 9% interest. There are real opportunities for you to earn great money on your money. Just go read our briefings at Clark.com on how the U.S. Treasury market works. Now, you can get complicated and you can buy um, treasuries like rich people do and big institutions do and earn great rates of interest. Uh, For example, the equivalent of one-year CDs and treasuries it's been bumping around 3%. You go to one of those giant monster mega banks and buy a one-year CD, you might earn a quarter of a percent. So if you learn how the game is played and more obscure parts of saving your money, you will do a whole lot better. This is from Travis in Ohio. It seems like even when, when we see temporary price hikes on goods and services, they become so common that those prices, if they ever go down, don't reduce by much because they've actually become the new normal. 
With inflation doing this and projections that it will continue for at least another 12 months, what happens when inflation returns back to a normal modest 2%? Will the prices really ever return to normal or will the higher prices we are seeing today just be accepted as the new normal after 18 months? My fear is the latter. So Travis, what you're talking about is where prices go up like a rocket and come back down like a feather, as economists refer to it. Because if I own a business and I've been able to push prices up, I'm not being evil when I'm like, hey, I'm making more money now. Um, I'm going to keep these prices. And then what happens is competition in the marketplace in so many sectors says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm starting to lose market share to my competitor down the street or in the next town or some other corporation is offering people a better deal and I'm starting to lose market share. So what does happen is prices accelerate really quickly, but the decline happens very slowly. Are we going back to where prices were pre-COVID in most sectors of the economy? No, but let me give one example. Cruise lines. Uh, there was so much pent-up demand for going on cruises that cruise lines were booking cabins at the highest rates they had ever done. I mean, prices went crazy. And now the market, because that's a completely discretionary thing, has hit the point of price resistance. And cruise rates are coming way down because of competition in the market, lack of demand at the new much higher prices. In fact, the prices are so much higher that people booked before versus what they are now. I've been reading that people are forfeiting their deposits to rebook a much cheaper cabin. Wow. That's how the marketplace works, that businesses will try to push those prices up, up, and away and keep them in that place. But you and I ultimately decide if they can do that or not. And from Patricia in Connecticut, Clark, at my grocery store and at Costco, I've been asked recently if I want to round up my bill to the nearest dollar to go to a specific charity. I decline because I have no idea if the money would really go to that charity. Am I correct? The money, um, I've never heard of a scandal involving a major retailer or restaurant chain absconding with the money that they get you to round up. But what does happen is they take credit for your donation, not uh, not as a charitable deduction because you gave the money, but they get all the corporate rub and you know the whatever charity the money was given to says, hey, look how great Costco is because of them we raised all this money or supermarket or whoever. So it is a great imaging thing for that retailer or the restaurant chain, but the money really is. I'm not aware of any exception. The Mm -hmm. money really is 100% of it going to that charity. So I want to tell you that something that is not charitable right now is going to college. College is really expensive, and the cost of borrowing money for college is unfortunately going up, up, and away. We need to talk this through strategies for how to deal with the rising cost of college. That's coming up. Student loan interest rates have been at record lows for the last many years, the ones set by the federal government that reset once each year for the following school year. And the new rates have been tentatively published 
for borrowing for college for this fall. And I'm going to kind of round off here because it's easier to absorb. But the borrowing rate for students has been 3.75%, approximately, three and three quarters percent. Now it's going to be 5%. And so that means of every dollar paid when you finish school, more and more of it will be going to interest instead of principal for this year. And for parent loans, we're looking at a rate increase and grad student loans, things like that, generally, although there are different programs, generally going from six and a quarter to seven and a half. And again, I'm rounding off. These interest rates are going to put significantly more pinch on people who borrow big amounts of money for college. The good news with these, these are fixed rates. The bad news is they're fixed rates. Once you have it, that's what the rate is for the full term that it takes you to pay off the loan, which can be up to 30 years. So more and more people are afraid of student loans. And that's actually a good thing because the student loan market has devastated so many people. That's why it's been such a big political issue for the last several years. It becomes like this albatross in people's lives. So here's the thing I deal with, and it's parental guilt. I hear it over and over and over again. We were just on vacation, and I was talking with a kid was wearing a college t-shirt, and it was for a really expensive school. And I, and I asked, as we're on this elevator ride, are you going there? And he said, no, that's where I want to go. And I said, well, how are you going to pay for it? And the parents are standing right there. And I was like, so how are you going to pay for that? And he kind of looks at the parents. And so here's the thing, mom and dad. Do not allow yourself to be guilted into obligating yourself to an amount of debt that is going to significantly impact your life. It's a very rare family that has been in a position where they've been able to save enough money in a tax-free college savings plan like a 529 to be able to have the reserves to pay for college without going into debt or deeply into debt. Most families end up in a position where they're between a rock and a hard place. You face these very, 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 very high tuition bills at a particular school. And I just want you to think about how many people have been very successful in life who didn't go to the IT school. There's this idea that if you have this opportunity to go to this place or that place or the other place, that automatically that's going to make the difference in what happens in your life. And it's not really the case. And so going to a place that you can afford is actually a really viable alternative. Yeah, it may not have a workout facility that looks nicer than any anybody's ever joined anywhere. It may not have dorms that are nicer than a mid-price hotel. It may be a place that's more basic, maybe even a little dumpy. 
But what you're there for is to get the skills, the training, the education to do what you want to do with your life. And so if nothing else, at least consider doing your first two years at a more affordable place. And here's a little secret. Being a junior transfer into a college, many times you can get into a college that you couldn't get into as a high school senior trying to go to as a freshman. Because a lot of people don't hang around after the first or second year, and there's a lot of spaces now open for the junior and senior year. And it gives you an opportunity to go two years to a much more affordable place, and then even if you do want to go to that fancy-dancy place for your junior and senior year, cuts your costs almost in half. Just think about it. And never borrow more money for a bachelor's degree than what you will earn likely on your first year in a job from obtaining that bachelor's degree. And Krista, your daughter is with us today. She is. Who is actually going to one of those elite schools that costs a zillion dollars. Yep. And we were fortunate. Actually, you talked earlier about the dips. And I remember in 2008, Um, I actually put a lot of money into the 529 plans thinking like long term and that worked out really well for us. So we're lucky and she's that will not graduate with student loans. So, but I agree with you a hundred percent. Let's go to some questions. Um, Actually, we have one from Glory in Oklahoma about student loans. What do you know about SoFi private student loans? So SoFi is a very legitimate lender and they tend to offer student loan refinances And as long as you do a fixed rate refinance with them and it's better than the rate you have, SoFi is just fine. Um, The problem is if you go to any kind of floating rate loan, you never know over time what interest rate you're actually going to be paying. But SoFi is the real deal. Now, if you give up the protections of a federal student loan to go into a lower interest rate with SoFi or another lender, What you do give up are borrower protections that exist under the federal student loan program and potential student loan forgiveness that is something that is part of certain circumstances with federal student loans. But if you're in a circumstance where you're paying, let's say you're paying a lot of uh, bills for graduate school or professional school and your interest rate is a really high fixed grad student loan rate, and you can go into a fixed rate with SoFi or someone else like them, then it's going to save you a substantial amount of money. Again, the two risks, you miss whatever loan forgiveness you might ultimately be eligible for with the federal loans you have. And second, if you hit a rough patch in your life, you're pretty much, it's tough. It's just the way it is. You've got to come up with the money where the federal student loan program They have different borrower protections if you lose your job or see a substantial reduction in income. From Nate in Georgia, I'm preparing to pay off my student loans and I want to roll that money into paying off my mortgage. I have no other debt and plan on using this house as a rental after I pay it off. I'm currently planning on just paying the extra money toward the principal, which will take about two and a half years to pay off, but I have seen people advertise using HELOCs to pay off their mortgage quickly. Can you talk about that strategy and let me know if it's a legitimate approach or just another scam? So it's not a scam, but the reality is 
the mortgage rate you have that's a fixed rate is almost certainly lower than what you would get on a floating rate HELOC right now in the marketplace. So just stay with the plan you have to pay extra principal each month on the existing mortgage and don't mess with one of those HELOC things that people really tout as if they're hocus pocus. One other thing I wanted to mention, when you finish paying off those student loans, Nate, the proof that you have paid off your student loans is something you need to keep forever. Once you keep it digitally, something like uh, whatever uh, storage system you use, whether it's an Apple thing or a Google thing or third party in the cloud, and keep the paper copies as well, because the student loan market tends to have amnesia, and there's no end of the statute of limitations where they can come back at you and say, 20, 30, even 40 years later, you didn't pay your loan. And how would you prove it decades later? You prove it by keeping the document showing you paid them off. And from David in North Carolina, Clark, my son is going into his second year at an in-state public university. He'll be living off campus this year. We have enough money in his 529 to pay for all four years of undergraduate studies. Would we be better off, one, absorbing the cost of his off-campus housing and using the 529 money to pay for tuition, et cetera, and saving 529 money for postgraduate education, or reimbursing ourselves for some of his off-campus housing costs up to what is allowed from our 529 and paying out of pocket fully for any post-grad work. So, David, if your son almost certainly is going to go to grad school or professional school after undergraduate school, I like the idea of you having additional tax-free years for the 529 money to grow, and then you spend it tax-free on grad school. If there's a possibility that your son will say after undergraduate school, I'm done, and then you have excess funds in a 529 account, that's a real problem unless you have a younger child you could roll that money to or unless you wanted to go back to school and use the money that way. So the real decision on that, since it's only his second year, where a student ends up when they're 19 or 20 years old, where they end up mentally what they want to do after they finish school is a real question mark. So unless it's one of those things where your son is known from a relatively young age, this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to require additional schooling, unless you know that, go ahead and use the money now for housing. And I want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. And I want to say one last thing about education. It's really in right now for people to be down on education after high school of various types. And it doesn't have to be college, but going to a state-supported technical college, getting uh, some kind of computer skills, doing something where you have a skill the marketplace needs almost always will require some type of education past high school and the long-term earning power and stability of your work environment so much greater with that education. And even though it's really, really in to talk bad about education, education is core and key to long-term financial security. And for more security for your wallet, check out our websites at clark.com. We are graduate school for life to serve you.